Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, here with Keith Myers and our special guest today, Rob Staten. And he, he is uh, from the SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Started that blog about, uh, oh gosh, at least 10 years ago, Rob Wright. Welcome into the show. Uh, here to talk Seahawks prospects uh, in the draft coming up to talk about maybe the Shane Waldron uh, offensive coordinator uh, hire that the Seahawks recently made. And uh, then we'll get into all sorts of other little uh, nooks and crannies of the Seahawks offseason as we as we progress. But welcome in, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Uh, wh- what are you currently working on that uh, might be of interest to everybody? Well, thanks for the, uh, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, at the moment, I'm working on a lot of draft stuff, as you can imagine. It's we've we've kind of just had the senior bowl, so I'm focusing quite a bit on that and doing a few interviews. I've just interviewed a player called David Moore, who's um, a guard from Grambling State, who won the offensive lineman of the week um, for the American team, as voted by the defensive lineman. Great to speak to him, a great character. Last week, I interviewed someone called Quinn Miners, who people may have seen him with the belly hanging out on the half shirt, and uh, he made a lot of headlines at the senior bowl. And, you know, I love speaking to the players. And, you know, a year ago, I got a chance to interview Damian Lewis before um, before the draft. And I really wanted to speak to one player the Seahawks drafted. And, and we managed to get one uh, with Damian Lewis. And I'm hoping that one of these guys that I'm speaking to is going to make it as well. So interviews, podcast is going nicely uh, on, on YouTube. And then, you know, I, I started out as a Seahawks draft blog 12 years ago. When, and really, I didn't offer any opinions. I didn't write really about much at all. It was just a place where... Look, if someone's done a mock draft like Mel Kuyper, I'll, I'll put a link to it on the blog and you'll find it there and we can have a conversation about it. And then as time went by, um, you know, I was trying to get into journalism at the time and I didn't know whether I was going to go into radio, TV, writing. So I, I started to write every day just to practice. And 12 years later, I'm, I'm still doing the blog for, for absolutely no financial benefit other than it's just a, a simple uh, labor of love, which um, is amazing. And, you know, I enjoy talking about the Seahawks. Over here in England, there's a few Seahawks fans, but there's not, you don't bump into many in the street to talk about the game at the weekend. So having my own little community to uh, talk to uh, every day is great. Yeah, that's great. You know, I used to be a, a part of the, uh, the Seahawks.net community uh, over with Todd Breida when he had that uh, thing going in the, in the early 2000s and, and towards about 2012 and, and uh, met Keith online uh, in, the, in the Seahawks Twitter community and, and through his writing over at the, the fan sided um uh blog that they were on and uh yeah keith and i started this thing what almost well it's four years ago i think next week that Mm -hmm. we started the show and uh, we just do it for ourselves either doesn't make any money we don't care we just kind of put it out there and it's uh it's it's fun for us to be able to get on and talk about the seahawks and uh put it out there and hopefully you know people kind of come to it and, and enjoy it so Keith, yeah, how, how are you doing? I was say, when I when I retired from writing, I was um, I, I I really I, I was so glad that I had this show to um, to just stay involved and and be able to you know talk to football with some friends and and uh, do that kind of stuff and and 
uh, I wouldn't trade this at all. So I hear you when it's talk about the labor of love and, and, you know, you just do it cause you enjoy it. And um, yeah, that's what we're doing here. So, <clears throat> but yeah, thanks again for coming on. Um, so let's set the stage for the draft before we, we start getting into prospects. So um, Bill, why don't you go ahead and, and cause I know you've got a list of, uh, yeah, of different different points here, and I don't. Well, I kind of I kind of wanted to start with the offensive coordinator. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. for Seattle because I, you know, the way that it would impact the offense, particularly uh, Coach Pete Carroll came out after the season, indicated that uh, uh, the big thing that they want to kind of uh, work on and emphasize this year is improving the run game and and upgrading uh, along the offensive line. We've got a couple of free agents right now in Posick and uh, Upati who doesn't look like he would return. And so those are two holes that we would fill. The Shane Waldron hire kind of leads to the question, Rob, uh, is that going to bring a different sort of offensive lineman, maybe something we used to see in the past, more athletic guys can get to the second level, that sort of thing. Is that something that Seahawk fans should look out for uh, this offseason? I think that potentially you could be looking at a combination of the two things. I mean, there are offensive linemen, and this is a very rich draft for offensive linemen, um, especially at guard and center, who are both very powerful, very big, and very athletic. Um, you've got a guy like Ben Cleveland at Georgia, for example, who is he's about 350 pounds. He would have probably broken the bench press record at, at the Combine this year if it was going ahead, but he runs a 500 at 350 pounds. So you know, he can probably do a bit of, a bit of the, the two sort of different things. And I think it is going to be, I think the whole appointment is a meshing of ideas. It is Pete Carroll giving a bit of ground, I think, to Russell Wilson and saying, look, Russell, I hear you. I know what kind of offense you want to run. Um, equally, the Rams system has created very good running games and, and it is a feature of what they do. So I think that that appeases Pete Carroll as well. And I think the other thing you've got to, you know, you maybe will see some athleticism on the offensive line, but you've also still got Mike Solari still there who prefers those bigger, physical, mauling offensive linemen. He is still going to be the offensive line coach as of today. I mean, there's not been any announcement there that he's moving on. So, and, and the other thing you've got to remember here is they're committed to Brandon Shell, they're committed to Damian Lewis, so they've only just drafted and they're committed to Dwayne Brown. So unless they're going to move those three guys out and replace them with different offensive linemen, I don't think there's going to be a sea change. So what I think they're probably going to do is look for big, athletic, interior offensive linemen. And fortunately, as I mentioned, this is the ideal draft to do it. Now, you had mentioned that you uh, recently interviewed uh, Quinn uh, Miners, the offensive uh, center and, and guard from Wisconsin Whitewater. I hadn't really heard of uh, Quinn before the Senior Bowl. Obviously, he made his presence very well known there what did you think of him uh during the interview process and what attracted you to to uh engage in that interview to begin with i think the, the first thing really was just how he performed you know he he went to the senior bowl and i don't think anybody was talking about quinn Miners. you know he he wasn't being discussed by anybody and, and no one had really watched his tape i don't even know if you can get hold of wisconsin whitewater tape quite readily on youtube uh, which is where most people get it these days so he came in as an unknown and here's this guy and he he's kind of got the shirt rocking there and the belly's hanging out and as he likes to put it in the interview he he likes to get a bit of air on the belly uh, i don't know how that helps but uh, it's presumably quite warm some of the time in alabama i don't think it is in mobile at the moment but he whatever works for him and you just sort of noticed him on the field straight away because the appearance and then here was this guy who was taking on 
you know, the best defensive lineman at the senior bowl and, you know, not winning those reps, but dominating the reps, you know, burying people like Patrick Jones when he was lining up at right guard and, you know, handling some of these big physical interior defensive linemen at centre. Um, he'd never played centre before. He was a left guard in college and here he was. He, he looks like, a, you know, wow. he's basically... If you type the stats into a into a machine and you say, I want a center, please, and it comes out the conveyor belt, it's a Quinn Miners. So he really looks the part. And I wanted to interview him. And it was such a, a breath of fresh air to speak to him, actually, because he was such a, a really uh, an engaging person. I did say to him at the end, look, I'm a Seahawks fan. Just saying, I didn't put this in the interview, but I, I really, you know, I'd be quite keen on them to uh, to have a devil there and maybe maybe take you. And he would say, oh, I'd be very interested in playing for the Seahawks and, and for Russell Wilson, of course, the Wisconsin connection. So, although it's a different school. So I think he's, you know, that's, that is somebody who I just think that he would appeal to the Seahawks. You're talking about a 320 pound, six foot three offensive lineman who has got the arm length at the like, 33 inch arms. And he's very athletic. He can dunk a basketball at 320 pounds. So he's, he's, he's got the explosive traits, he's got the size, he's got the feet and the, and the agility. I'd be very surprised if the Seahawks weren't taking a, a good long look at him during this process. So when, uh, before the Senior Bowl, uh, where would it have been likely that he may have gone in the draft and after the Senior Bowl, now that he's got all the attention on him, teams are paying more uh, closer attention, looking at all the film, breaking it down, probably inviting him to uh, interviews, at least Zoom interviews. Uh, where do you think he might end up? I think maybe within the league, they perhaps knew about him a bit more than the media. So I would, I would, have, I would have suggested he probably would have been drafted. Maybe he would have, you know, a tentative grade of fifth round. You're never quite sure with these small school guys. One thing to impress at that level, but you want to see them do it at a senior bowl. Now, leaving the senior bowl, he's a top 100 pick. Now, I, I would put him in the back end of round two in the, in the same range that Ali Marpet went. Ali Marpet just won the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay was at Hobart, had a great senior bowl, tested very well at the Combine, ended up going in the late second round, I think it was pick 61. So I think that that is the kind of range where Miners is. is. Maybe maybe he goes in round in the early part of round three, but he's he's squarely in that day two mix now. And listen, in a, in a weird draft when people don't have as much information as they would have had in the past, who's to say a guy like that who absolutely lit up the senior bowl won't go a bit earlier than, um, than we all thought he would have done a few weeks ago. So before we get into a lot of other prospects, and Keith, I know that you had some more offensive line guys. Let's get into our own free agents really quick and, and maybe a little bit of the salary cap conversation before we dive headfirst into, into the remaining guys uh, coming up into the draft. We have a lot of holes uh, right now. The cap space is, is fairly limited. Uh, we do have some opportunity to, to probably uh, increase that uh, with a number of different moves, uh, extensions, restructures, releases, trades, et cetera. Um, you've got a couple of running backs, our, our number one, number two, Carson and Hyde, uh, Hollister at tight end, Olsen's retired, uh, Dorsett and Moore. Dorsett didn't have an opportunity to really show us anything. Team says they might want him back. Who knows? Uh, David Moore, um, uh, Upati, Abuahe at guard, Ethan Postick at center, KJ Wright at linebacker, Bruce Urban, Mayoa, um, Dunbar, Griffin, uh, there's a lot of need out there right now. Very little cap. Something seems like it's got to give. Um, Rob, what do you what do you think? I mean, you take a look at the salary cap this year; it's it's pretty tight. Um, next year, it's pretty wide open. I think they've got 140 million dollars in in cap space. Is there any opportunities there to leverage some of that future space 
with some of the existing players. Absolutely, that is that is possible, and I, I do think you have to be a little bit careful with that because that sort of it's it's with a, yes, they have a lot of money um, for next year, so it's one hundred and eighteen point five million dollars that at the moment they have for effective cap space, which is it, it includes once your your practice squad and your injured reserve money comes off. Essentially, this is what in a draft class, this is what you're left with. It's about one hundred eighteen million that they would have to spend in twenty twenty two. Here's the the problem though. They only have 19 players contracted for 2022, which means that you're going to have to sign, you know, 70 players, and it, the cap takes into account I think the top 51. So, you know, a lot of that money will go quickly once you start adding players who are contracted, and you'll find that that 118 is is a little bit of a mirage at the moment. And and it's the same this year. You know, you've got 48 players signed up. Quite a lot of those are futures contract players who. They're fringe players that you you maybe give them a camp. They might not even make it to camp. So you, you've got a lot of holes that you have to fill. At the moment, they have about $2 million to spend in effective cap space. That isn't even enough to give Puna Ford a second round tender at this point, which is what they're going to give him. So you, you can't even pay Puna Ford for his extra year um, as, an, as a former undrafted free agent, let alone replacing or re-signing Carson Hyde, Griffin, um, the two tight ends that you mentioned, Ethan Posick, the, the whole Benson Mayo, you know, all of the players that you mentioned already. So something's got to give. They've got to make a decision here and they can't raise $25 million by tweaking Russell's contract and extending Carlos Dunlap and Jaron Reed. It, it, it's going to take something a bit more significant, I feel, than that if the Seahawks really want to have a proper off season because they don't even have the draft picks to say, well, it's okay because we can fill that hole with a third rounder. We can fill that hole with a first rounder. It, something's got to give here. And I, and, I, and I think over the next few weeks, we'll, I think something reasonably sized will have to happen. Um, and, and the debate for me that is worth having right now is what is that going to be? Well, I think before we, before that, um, I mean, you look at the, uh, of the teams, like where they are, <clears throat> the CX are right in the middle. That $2 million is literally right in the middle of the entire league. Um, you know, there's 17 better and, and um, you know, do the math 15 lower and, um, or I guess it's 14 lower, but whatever. Um, but the, yeah, they're right in, the, right in the middle of the league. You've got half the league that's underwater right now. The Saints are $100 million underwater. Um, and you have the cap going down for one year and then rebounding back up above where it was a year from now. So this all sounds to me like the, uh, the PA and the league are going to get together and say, hey, let's take that growth in year two and spread it out um, and not have the salary cap go down. And the CX are going to just randomly, along with every other team, be gifted $20 million in um extra salary cap money when they when they change the number from 178 back to 198 like it was this season and when that happens you know i i think that change completely changes the entire um discussion that we're having and so i have a hard time engaging too strongly in these you know scenarios like um jason lacanfora's article yesterday saying you know that teams are calling about russell wilson and 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 you know, moving him, and and I was like, why? Why would you do that? You know, relief is coming because the entire league needs it. So, 
Well, you know, I think I think the one what I would say is that there was a report yesterday um, that the cap is going. I mean, this was out from Adam Schefter that the cap will be between 180 and 181 million, which is about three million more than they were initially projecting. I think the problem that the NFL has got is that it's it's. I mean, I, I've thought for a while that there needs to be some kind of a solution. One of the things I was talking about during the season was maybe the maybe the league has to say for one year, your highest paid player, for example, doesn't count against the cap. So essentially everybody gets a relief for their quarterback, you know what? Uh, and if it's not a quarterback, and, and let's put it this way, if, you don't ha- if you're not paying a quarterback, suddenly you might be able to sign a big free agent and give him a lot of money and you get that as a bonus. And it's just to encourage the, the, the money to flow, you know, and for the veterans to still get their money and to provide some relief. I thought something like that would happen. It hasn't happened yet. So that was that was an idea, and no one's even talking about that idea. I've not looked into it enough to know whether it's feasible or not. But they're sort of saying it's 180 million, and I think the problem with that, you know, the, nobody really knows what the growth is exactly going to be next year. If you have to have another season, for example, with no fans in the stadiums, let's really hope that that is not a, a possibility. But we just don't know. I mean, I think if you'd have said it, you know, eight months ago, are we still going to be really stuck in this in the situation we are with a global pandemic? It would have been really disappointing, and. If you get to September and there still aren't fans in the stadium, or if you play a full season with 20% attendances or, or 30, then they're not, there's not going to be that growth again next year. So if you borrow from next year and put it into this year, you might just find that next year you need to borrow even more from the future and the league goes out of business. So it's, it's a really concerning, I don't know what the league's going to do. I don't know if there are half the league is, is like you say, in a really difficult position. What I will say is that some of these teams that are in a lot of problems. So just to give you an example, the Packers are 28 million over the cap, but they've got 63 contracted players and they've got players without dead cap hits who they can release somewhat easily or trade and get their cap down. They're in sort of the reverse of the Seahawks. The Seahawks have got to sign players to fill their holes in order to get their numbers up, they're only paying at the moment probably about 37 players who are realistically going to make the roster. So they've got a lot more work to do than some of the teams beneath them. So they are in the middle of the pack. But in reality, some of those teams who've got 60, 65 players contracted are probably a little closer to the middle in reality than maybe the Seahawks are. So it's a huge, it is a huge issue for the teams. I don't know how they're going to do it. I think that the whole league is in a really serious financial state that people perhaps don't recognize. And I don't know what the answer is. Well, they do have a, uh, you know, their TV and media contracts are coming up um, for renewal starting in 2022. They've talked about uh, starting those renegotiations early and maybe maybe doing kind of a quote unquote extension of current contracts that would bump those up into the stratosphere and add uh, tons of money into the league. Um, That's where, you know, they're projecting the the $220 million cap in, in 2022 the $250 million cap in 2023, at least according to over the cap, um, that, that might be an area where they know eventually relief is coming and they might feel more comfortable, um, you know, keeping the cap somewhat even this year, even 190, 195 would help keep it at 195 instead of 220, uh, in 2022. And that would help bridge that, that gap. And then we can move on to, to normal quote unquote growth back in 2023. So we'll see. We'll see. I think you're right, Rob. It is pretty volatile. There's a lot of unknowns. Maybe, uh, you know, in the next uh, two or three weeks, we should be hearing a lot of information when they had their league meetings before the official league uh, uh, start date in uh, mid-March. So we should have an answer definitely by then. Um, So maybe or maybe not. Keith, why don't you 
uh, decide we can we can talk about you know what we can do with the cap or we can just move straight on into uh let's talk about the draft because we got yeah, right I, I and, and and that's his wheelhouse um <laughs> yeah, let's do that can, can, yeah. I, can i just say one one last one last thing on this though before yeah, we, we move of course. on and and really for me the, the thing about the silks is not so much the it's not so much the lack of money that bothers me more than anything else it's it's about where you spend your money that i think is the is the dilemma that face that is facing the seahawks here because you know if you look at the resource they've spent on the linebacker and the safety positions it's it's quite a lot i mean that last year they were paying bobby wagner and kj Wright 25 million dollars combined they spent a first round pick on a linebacker the year before they traded up in round three for cody barton that is a that is quite a you know, an incredible amount of, of picks and money invested in the linebacker position. And then when you think about the safety position, second round pick of Marquis Blair, fifth round pick of Quandra Dix, and you inherit his contract from Detroit. And then you spend two first round picks and a third for Jamal Adams and a fourth rounder. And if you want to, to have Jamal Adams for the next few years, he's going to cost you a record breaking safety contract. To have all of that money and picks and resource in those two positions and to struggle to you know, really struggling in the trenches late in the season, losing the New York game because you got whipped up front and then getting back and then losing in the playoffs in part because of your inability to adjust, but also in part because you were beaten in the trenches and both sides of the ball by the Rams. For me, it's what the Silks need to do is be really honest about where should we be spending perhaps less money and where should we be spending more? And I'd like to transfer some of those picks and that money from linebacker and safety into the offensive line and the defensive line. And um, I think that is the challenge that the Seahawks face. And, and for me, I hope that they do that this year. I mean, that definitely does sound like a, a sound argument and, and reasoning, Rob, but what do you do? You've got Bobby Wagner for another couple of years, um, short of a, of a, of a blockbuster trade uh, for Bobby uh, to get picks back or, or, a, or a player in picks. Um, you know, you're going to have that cap hit. You're going to be investing in that for at least two more years. You've got uh, KJ Wright, who's a free agent. Uh, there's a lot of sentiment that uh, folks want to want to bring uh, KJ Wright back for a couple of years and give him, uh, you know, maybe not a, a, what he was making uh, last year, but a six, $7 million deal uh, per year. Uh, and then the Jamal Adams thing. Um, that's, that's tough. I mean, Keith and I have gone round and round about Jamal Adams and whether we should trade or not. Um, whether we should keep him, you know, there's the argument on Keith's side and I'll let him articulate if I don't do a good job, but he's a bit, you know, he's a player that tilts the field and that's what, um, that's what we're lacking on defense. We've got Bobby Wagner and then what? That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what Adams was brought in to do, to be a, a game changer and a playmaker. And he proved that he could do that, but he does come from that, that safety position. Um, but he, but he showed he could get to the quarterback. Now I granted they schemed that thing and, and whatever, but, uh, nonetheless, you're right. We're in, we're, we're about to, uh, to come to a, the decision day where we have to invest $17 million per year with tons of guaranteed money on a player that's plays with reckless abandon. I'm kind of worried a little bit about maybe some injuries, uh, coming with that big contract and, uh, you're right. The, the trenches. I mean, I, I see it, Keith, you're an offensive line guy. You, you see it, you see the lack of investment in that. Although we've, we've made some picks over time, it just seems like it's always just been not quite enough. And then the defensive line, you know, the first part of this, uh, this last season really showed the weaknesses that we did have there. Carlos Dunlap was able to come in and kind of help that make players around him better. 
and that really did help. But I agree that the the, the trends for investment is lacking, and we are investing in other areas. And and I I don't see any end to that or an easy way out per se. Well, I mean, one of the things that that I think goes into this, and and I completely agree. Like we, I the the, the CX. Um, lack of willingness to invent, invest in the offensive line during the Pete Carroll era has been really frustrating for me. But um, when we start talking about the cap stuff, the two of the names that come to mind and people that that might be jettisoned to create the extra cap room are Dunlap and Jerron Reed. And then you're like, okay, but they were probably, other than Puna Ford, your best two um, defensive linemen. And so now you have to replace them too. And so now you're just shifting even more of the financial um, burden off of the trenches, which is where you are weak. And so it's like, okay, can we, they need to, there, there need, I agree with you. There, there needs to be some uh, evaluation as far as what's going on there. And I want to see more investment in the offensive line. I think you look at yesterday's game and the Super Bowl and just how awful the chief's line was with, um, all their, you know, backups in there and whatnot. And even having, you know, a superstar quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, it didn't matter because he was constantly running for his life. And it was like, Hey, look, that's like watching the Seahawks play. It just, the the talent around him out at the uh, out wide receiver didn't matter because he never had time to, you know, do anything with it. And uh, it, it was a very, it, it definitely showed that, uh, it pays to invest in there. And I kind of hope that, you know, that Pete Carroll's comments equate to, Hey, we're going to upgrade left guard. We're going to look at upgrading center. Um, you know, maybe we'll move on from shell and upgrade at right tackle or uh, find a left tackle of the future that can start in a year. Cause Brown's 36 and, you know, maybe uh, might be near the end of, you know, with that. And, and there's a, there's a, God, there's a need to, to just get that set and get it right. And right now I'm worried for Russell Wilson because they haven't managed to do it in years. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, the Seahawks draft capital this year. You know, that kind of leads right into that investing into the line with cheap talent, uh, quality upcoming talent. Seahawks do not have their first round pick in, in the Adams trade. They've got the second round pick 55, 56 overall. No third round uh, pick goes to the Adams trade. They've got a fourth round pick, 124 overall. Fifth round pick, 163 overall. Seventh round pick, presumably uh, the Seahawks didn't, uh, or, or the Perry Nickerson trade didn't meet uh, the conditional uh, trade there. And so they, they have that. So they've got four picks, second, fourth, fifth, seventh round. Uh, Dwayne Brown's getting older. He's got a big contract. There's really no way to invest in a, an immediate starter at that position. They would have to have somebody come in and, uh, and, um, and develop in that spot. If, if they were to draft somebody, um, Rob question for you, based on the amount of draft capital that we do have, um, and the needs that we have, and, and some of those needs are going to be met in free agency, but where do you see them? What is the, what is the off season strategy for John Schneider this year? a guy that really likes to accumulate picks and, um, and spread them out throughout the draft has, has very little draft capital to do so this year. I think his number one priority is going to be to get back in this draft. I think he, he has to find a way over the next few weeks to, to get more picks because um, as we've talked about, you know, there are a lot of holes and 
if you want to be able to sign players, you you are going to have to find some cheap talent. You're going to, you know, how useful was it to have Damien Lewis, for example, playing the way that he did for a million dollars, you know, last year. Um, and, and that's the kind of picks you've, you've got to go on. And that's what the draft is about, really. It's about, you know, not every player can be Russell Wilson, Dwayne Brown. You know, some of these guys are going to have to be young. They're going to have to start quickly and they're going to have to do a job for you. Damian Lewis wasn't flawless, but he was perfectly good as a, as a starting right guard. And part of the problem the Seahawks have got with this draft capital now is that well, to me, it's kind of, they've spent, it, it comes back to the point I made earlier. So how, how do you justify keeping, for example, Wagner and Wright while spending a first round pick on a linebacker? You know, if you, if you draft a center last year, then that's a whole field for now, even if they don't start necessarily in 2020, you're planning ahead. It's one less hole to fill now if you retain Wagner, if you bring back KJ Wright, you've got a center. Okay, that's that need addressed. Or if they'd have drafted Jonathan Taylor or somebody, you're saying, okay, they can move on from Chris Carson. They've got Jonathan Taylor for $1.5 million this year. You know, th- there was no real planning. You've you've kind of spent picks and then you've spent more picks at the same position. So it's, well, we spend all the money in linebacker and then we're going to draft another linebacker. We draft Marquise Blair. Then we go and trade two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. And you have all this stock tied up and then you have the holes sort of dotted around that you're now trying to fill. And you simply cannot draft a starting cornerback, draft a starting running back, draft a starting Sam linebacker, draft a center, draft a left guard with four picks. And if you trade down from 56 and, and you know, what are you going to get? You know, a fifth round pick, maybe a fourth round pick if you go down far enough and then you, you don't pick until what the 75th pick in the draft. And you, you know, you, you're nearly getting towards being completely out of the top 100 at that point, you are really restricted. So I think what, John is going to have to do is he's going to again have to be really honest about what is the the makeup of this team and I've been writing and I hope that they feel this way is they just go back to what they did when they first came in which was 2010 first pick was at the left tackle was Russell Okun their first pick in 2011 was James Carpenter they signed Robert Gallery didn't work out but you could see the thought process there they traded for Marshawn Lynch and got a fantastic running back um, there was so much care and attention and investment into that identity of what they wanted to be. And I, and by 2013, they'd got the most expensive offensive line in the NFL when they won the Super Bowl. And I'd quite like to see a return to that approach. And um, I think that would help Russell Wilson because you, you run the ball better, you protect him better. Um, and, and the one thing they also had in 2012, 2013 was a young, fast, angry defense cheap as well you know a lot of those guys were drafted later on and while i understand the need for field tilters that's obviously a big big thing i i also think you can find players in free agency i mean like shaquille barrett who just for the books he cost four million dollars last year you know as a free agent jpp's 12 and a half million dollars i mean it's less than dunlap's going to be next year well let me ask you this guys well let me ask you this rob so in the last four years the seahawks have been at nine wins 10 11 and now 12 are you advocating for kind of resetting this thing again as they did in 2017-18 or are you trying to just do this incrementally strategically in certain spots and areas uh, 
to, to keep the window open for Russell Wilson and uh, kind of keep what's working uh, towards the end of the year. The defense seemed to be working fairly well. The offense sputtered, but it, at least the pieces are still there to kind of put it together, maybe with the new offense coordinator. How do you see that all kind of meshing in, in, in the way that your vision sees it? It's difficult, isn't it? Because a, re- a reset, it's quite a, it's quite a, um, it's a dangerous word, I suppose, because it, it makes it sound like you're blowing everything up. And yes, um, right. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think blow. I don't think it's, it's a case of blowing everything up and saying we've got to start from scratch and this is a three-year build. I think it's, it's more a case of um, just reorganizing your finances a little bit and finding the way to create a formula that will enable you to take the next step when it matters, which is the postseason. Because while they have been improving, personally, I think they had a pretty comfortable schedule this year. And um, I, I do wonder a little bit how much the defensive um, upturn was down to a, a, you know hardly a murderous row of quarterbacks they faced. Um, but um, they, um, they've, they've won one game in the playoffs in four years. And, and, and for me, I kind of feel like in five years' time, do I, do I want to look back on sort of this period and think, I wish they'd have just, you know, built Russell a great O-line or just changed a few different things and, and maybe took a, made a two, couple of di- tough decisions in order to get that next step and try something different than as we sat here in another three, four years and, yeah, they may well, they may well have won a game against the NFC East in the wildcard round, but then lost at Lambeau again or lost to the NFC South team that's won the division or... You know, you see what I mean? Just just going through the same pattern every single season. Well, one last question before we get to the prospects. Promise. Um, are you advocating possibly for for a for a big move, like trading for uh like a like a Wagner for picks or a Jamal Adams for picks or entertaining the idea of moving a Russell Wilson for a for a load of picks? What is it exactly that you're that you're saying? Well, I wouldn't trade Russell Wilson because I think we're seeing right now that um, the league is scrambling around trying to find if, oh, can I trade for a Kirk Cousins? Can I trade for a Carson Wentz? Can I trade for you know, a Derek Carr? You know, it's, it's, you don't want to join those teams who are suddenly looking for a, you know, a mediocre quarterback who's just not a rookie to you know, hold the fort for a while. So I certainly wouldn't advocate that. But I think what I'd like to see is a real commitment that, look, you're paying Russell 35 million a year. Let's, let's make Russell's life as easy as possible and, make, and truly make him the focal point of the team and say, let's give him a, a really excellent O-line. You know, I'd, I'd like to target a top 10 O-line for next year, you know, really good, consistently good O-line in the mold of like the Cleveland Browns O-line, um, which is a mix of picks and big free agent signings and, and investment. I'd like to see them try to, to, to create a running game as, as effective as Cleveland's um, and potentially get Russell another weapon. Now, these things are all going to cost serious money, but I think if you did that and and it didn't work, then at least you can say you gave it your best shot with a $35 million superstar quarterback. Um, and, and I personally would rather do that than just trot out another $2 million left guard, a, you know, a rookie center and, uh, you know, the next Carlos Hyde running back and you know the next Philip Dorsett, but hey, we have Bobby and Jamal and and, and Bobby's great. This is please don't anybody see this as disrespect to Bobby Wagner. I love Bobby Wagner as much as everybody else. Um, I just don't personally know whether he's worth 17 million dollars this year and 20 million next, which is what he's going to cost. And for Jamal Adams, 
again, it's not that I think Jamal Adams is a is a bad player. I don't. I don't think he's a particularly great scheme fit in Seattle. But I I don't I don't want to pay him eighteen million, nineteen million, twenty million a year from twenty twenty two. I would rather spend that money elsewhere. That that's just me. Well, and I think um, all of this coming back, bringing it back to the draft. The last time the Seahawks were really short on draft capital, um, going into an off season, they traded Frank Clark um, and got you know that first round pick, and uh, then was able to use that draft capital to move back a couple times, and they went from six picks to eleven, um, and they did that by trading Frank Clark. Um, now they have four picks. It, the history does tell us that uh, trading a name to get a uh, to get some draft capital and you know give Schneider some ammunition to work with in the draft makes a lot of sense and it makes uh, a plan for what they're planning on doing and the fact that they drafted Brooks in the first round last year he's a middle linebacker he is clearly the heir apparent middle linebacker. You need the cap space. You need the draft capital. Bobby Wagner sitting there. Um, he's never going to be worth more in terms of a trade than he is right now, because that as he continues to age, it's, his value is going to go down. So now would be the time to do it if you're ever going to. And with regards to Jamal Adams, and and we've talked about this several times, Keith. But you know, uh, with those that are saying, you know, Jamal is probably only going to get paid fourteen and a half, fifteen million dollars or whatever. I don't think so. I mean, there's like six or seven uh, safeties hitting the market this year uh, in free agency that are going to get money, going to get paid a lot of money. And Jamal Adams wants to get paid higher than any one of those guys that is going to get a new free agent contract this year. John Johnson's probably looking at 13 million uh, per year. Marcus May there at the, at the Jets going to look at about 15 million. Marcus Williams uh, previously with the Saints. Saints probably won't resign him, but he's going to get paid from somewhere. He's going to make about 14 million. Anthony Harris, Minnesota, he's going to get money. Justin Simmons is probably going to get paid more, the most money out of all those guys. Probably looking at he wants 16 million, 16 and a half. Yeah, but how Adams many teams, wants to get 17 and a half million dollars? I guarantee you. How many teams have the cap space and willingness to pay a safety? There's not a lot. Those guys may want that, but they're not going to get it this offseason. It's not the money's not I, there. Respectfully, I disagree, but half I, I the hear teams your in the league, Half the teams in the league have have negative cap space right now, um, and I just don't see with that many players hitting the open market. That means teams have options. That's a that's a buyer's market. I just don't see it, it, it going that way. I, um, a, quick, a quick point on that though: um, some of the teams who actually have the most cap space, for example. Um, the Patriots, uh, they run systems with, you know, hybrid safeties and, you know, Marcus May, Simmons would be great there. They've got $63 million to spend. Um, the Dolphins have got $28 million to spend. They equally run the Belichick scheme. Um, there, there are teams like the Browns who are desperate for a playmaker in the secondary who've got $22 million to spend. So although it's it's true, there's, there's a lack of money. It's actually the safety market and the cornerback market, it could actually stay fairly somewhat strong just because there are there are just a handful of teams. The Jets are another one. I mean, they may well... If I was the Jets, I'd pay to keep Marcus May with your 70 million that you've got. So there are some teams that... And, and some of those guys are with franchise as well. So there's, there's, there's there are some teams who could could potentially be in that market. All right. Okay. Let's, so let's, let's put this... Yeah, put that yeah. all to bed. Let's this talk about a, prospects. It's been a fun... <laughs> 
discussion, but we, you know, we've got the we've got the draft guy here. Let's let's talk some prospects. Yeah, let's let's start with the uh, offensive line, and uh, why don't you go with uh, with any? Yeah, so here? you know, I'm looking at, at at the offensive line, and this seems to be a, a pretty deep uh, class, especially on the interior. The Seahawks need a, a left guard. They need um, a center. So and there's a lot of a lot of good names. Um, but what intrigues me is, hey, can we find a tackle? Because, you know, Shell was serviceable. He played pretty well in the first half of the year and then got hurt, missed some time. When he came back, he wasn't as good. Um, but, you know, it's a reasonable uh, contract. If we can get rid of that and, and bring in a rookie with more talent and possibly a left tackle of the future, I would, I'd love to see them do that. But is that possible? And so uh, I'm looking through, and I just wanted to get your take on a couple of guys like um, Walker Litter, uh, Little from Stanford. Uh, six seven three twenty. He's Stanford, so you know he's coached well. But is there anything is he is there anything there that makes you think that he might progress at the um, at the next level to become a you know genuine NFL starter? Yes, absolutely. Uh, walk a little. Um, if I would recommend people go and watch the um, the rivals um, recruiting videos of Walk a Little when he was coming through the ranks as a five star recruit. And you will see a player that is a very natural left tackle. I mean, his, his frame, his balance, his agility, his footwork, even at that age, he just looked like the real deal. And there's been a lot of expectation around Walker Little. A couple of years ago, he was being talked about as a first-round pick. He chose to come back to school, then he got hurt. Then he sat out this season, having got hurt. He didn't want to go into the draft last year off the back of an ACL injury. So he then comes back and then there's a global pandemic. So we've not seen him for a couple of years. So we have to bear that in mind and that could impact his stop. But we are talking about a player who, without any of that, probably would have been a top 15 pick. He's got everything, the length, the size, the athleticism to be a fantastic left tackle. I mean, personally, I think there's just such a demand on left tackles. I know a lot of people can have him in that second and third round range. I've been putting him in the top 15 because I still think that when push comes to shove, teams will go, we'll take a chance on walk a little because it's not a particularly top heavy draft. There's going to be a, a huge, I think once you get to sort of pick eight, even you, you, you're going to maybe see a few surprises because teams are going to have the guy who's probably going to go 12 may have a similar grade to the guy who's going to go 30. So mm. it, it's, it's kind of pick your poison at that point. And I could see someone like walk, walk a little going a lot earlier than people think, but if he was there for the Seahawks, he would be a fine investment because he's definitely got what it takes. Yeah. Cause that, that's what with him not playing, and you don't, you, you haven't seen him. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know. They're not going to be able to work him out. There's no combine to see where, where he is in, in terms of that stuff. Um, I, I can see what you're saying with the, with the top, you know, 15 pick. I mean, the talent was there, but I guess it only takes one team to, uh, to take the risk and go for it for him to come off the board. But I was, I'm really, I was hoping you're gonna be like, Oh yeah, we haven't seen him. No, no team's taken him. He'll be there sitting there when the Seahawks pick in the fifties. Um, and I'd be like, okay, good. Then I, I know what I'm mocking to the Seahawks for uh, the rest of the, the off season. But um, no, so you're, 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 you're being too smart here and, and telling me the, the truth instead of what I want to hear. And I love it. Um so okay, so if with without is it, who would be another guy um, that has that uh, left tackle talent, but maybe needs to develop, so he's not ready to start at left tackle year one because you've got Dwayne Brown, but he'll be ready in twenty twenty two. Who else is in that range that might be available in the fifties or sixties? Is there anyone? 
Well, I think that one player who's really risen as a consequence of the senior bowl is a guy called Dante Smith. Now, he is from East Carolina. He's 295 pounds. So you're not talking about a guy who is, is, is ready made to start in the NFL. He's going to need to at least add a, you know, 10 pounds. And when you look at his frame, he can certainly do that. You know, he doesn't look filled out at 290. He doesn't look like a tight end masquerading as a, as a left tackle. What he has is just an incredible frame, six foot five, 35 and a quarter inch arms, an 85 inch wingspan. You know, that is left tackle length. And then when you watch him in the senior bowl, there was two things that he did really well. First of all, he brought some real attitude. So this is a small school guy who turns up and he doesn't take any crap from any of the big school guys, handled them really well, very physical. And the other thing was just his balance. He got his, he wasn't mixing his feet up. His technique was fairly good. He got his hands inside. If, if people were attacking him off the edge, he would shut them down. You saw some of the big name defensive linemen get really frustrated going up against him because he was shutting them down. They weren't getting any easy wins with him. No one was bending the arc and getting around there and getting to the quarterback against him. So I thought there was, there was definitely something there. And he's a guy who's probably gone from a day three pick now to, I think, round two or round three. Now, wow. whether wow. you want to take you know, such a project, someone who's probably not going to be, he, he may play George Fant for a year, but is, is really that's the only bang you're going to get for your buck in year one. That's a decision to make depending on how many picks you actually have in this draft. If you only have four, you may need to look at a left guard instead or a center or a, a different position. But if you have a, maybe a few more, uh, whether it's 56 or a pick in round three, I think there's something that there's just enough to work with there that you think this guy's got something. And with a year of, or two of tutoring from um, Dwayne Brown, Maybe he could be onto something and could be a really good player one day. Let's stick yes, with tackle. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's stick with tackle for for a second. Maybe look to the mid round area where Seattle has uh, fourth and fifth round picks. A guy like James Hudson possibly as a developmental uh, kind of tackle, or maybe an Arlick uh, Jackson. I was uh, just wanted to peek your your thoughts on that uh, real quick, Rob. Sadly, those two guys, they don't pass the arm length test. They're both in the 32-inch range. And, you know, I, what we've been able to do over the years, um, mainly thanks to my very patient wife who allows me to spend so much time <laughs> doing this, is sort of go and have a look at who they've drafted, uh, you know, consistently over the years. And there's only really one offensive lineman they've taken with sub-33-inch arms. That was Joey Hunt in round six a few years ago. And, and we're talking about a round six flyer. We like the guy. We'll give him a shot. You know, when the Seahawks are always willing to overlook something. I mean, I don't think their ideal quarterback was five foot 10, but it's, it, you know, they, if, if a player excels and then maybe they go that way. But generally speaking, for interior offensive linemen and for defensive linemen, you're talking 33 inches. And for the tackles, you, you've got to talk about the great length, you know, 34 inch arms, 35 inch arms maybe even 36. There are the occasional player that has 36 inch arms, you know, these huge vines just to get out there. And that length is so important when you're defending the edge and you're trying to get latch onto people, keep your frame clean, kick slide. What, you know, you, even if it's just to ward them off and just to keep the path and make the arc as, as long as possible to the quarterback, you've got to have that length. And you, we were seeing it at the senior bowl, the guys with the shorter arms, you can get into their frame you're going to push pull. You can get around them very easily. You can one out. You can stiff arm them. You know, straight arm them to to get around them. And it's it's a real issue. And sadly for those two guys, they both have short arms. They're probably going to have to kick inside to guard. Well, speaking of, let's talk interior players. Uh, Posick's a free agent. Potty's probably gone. We're looking to upgrade those areas. 
Uh, Keith mentioned uh, last week in the show that the, the team may consider uh, keeping Posick just from an athletic profile with the new offensive coordinator being able to get to the second level. Uh, they might consider keeping him around on a, on a less expensive deal and upgrade, focusing the upgrade on the left guard position. Uh, looking to the draft, centers and guards, uh, you know, throughout the draft early and then later, uh, what are some of the prospects that, that might fit? Well, you know, in, in, in terms of centers and guards, there are, there's a whole host. I mean, there's a, there's a long list of players who could really appeal. Again, you know, I like to sort of see which are the ones that are most likely to land in Seattle based on what they've done in the past, which sadly means that players like, there are two great centers in this draft. You know, Creed Humphrey's one of them, very technically adept, strong combo blocks very well, gets to the second level very well but he has short arms again. And it, it, you know, it just, it makes you pause for a moment. I'm not saying the Seahawks won't draft him, but history tells us that it's less likely than some other guys. And Landon Dickerson is in the same situation, I'm afraid. They're both in the 32 inch arm range. Dickerson has got injuries. I'm not sure that they'll be willing to take a chance on someone like Dickerson after the Daryl Taylor situation this year, because Dickerson's career has just been filled with one injury after another, I'm afraid, even though he's a really good player. We've talked about Quinn Miners as a potential centre or guard. He's a very good option. Some of the other players to look at, I mentioned him earlier, Ben Cleveland um, would run a 500 if there was a combine. He was 354 pounds, got the 33 inches. That's crazy. Six, six. He's so strong. And do you know what's great thing about watching Ben Cleveland? He's like, I would urge everybody to go and watch the Auburn-Georgia game um, from 2020. Go and watch the Auburn-Georgia game and watch Ben Cleveland playing right guard. And just watch. We're, talk- we're not talking about a small score. We're talking about Auburn defensive linemen getting so frustrated. You can see them physically just wanting to give up, throwing their arms up in the air because they just can't get around this guy. He's just bullying them. They're just He's just beating them up. And they, they're getting frustrated. They don't know what to do. They, he latches on and he handles them. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, this is what they need. This is what the Seahawks mm-hmm. need. And I think his athleticism is actually, if you go on the internet and you read what people say about Ben Cleveland, they go, oh, he's not much of an athlete. He's just a mauler in a phone booth. But then if you actually watch the tape, he can progress to the second level. There was one block against Auburn where he's at right guard and the center kicks out to the second level and he has to come across and take on the nose. Now, that's not an easy move to make in such a, it's snap, gone, you're across. And he did it and got in front of the center quickly and got leverage and drove him up and drove him off the, uh, off the, off the ball. The running back goes behind him for a first down on second and four. And I'm thinking, where's the athleticism problem here? I don't know why people are saying that he's a sixth round lumbering guard. Then maybe he's had some academic issues at Georgia, but you know, I'm, I'm, he's a football player. You know, he's not going to have to do math in, in the next level. You know, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> the only math he needs to do is you know, the numbers on the defenders that he needs to go and block. So I, I like Ben Cleveland and, and I'd be willing to take a shot on him, you know, any day. And then, you know, a few more names quickly just to throw out there. I'm, there, I'm just sort of loading out names. Aaron Banks at Notre Dame had a really good year for, for them. He's, he's huge, 6'5", 308 pounds, uh, 338 pounds, 33 and an eighth inch arms. He played a little bit of left tackle at, um, when um, Eichenberg the, had to leave the game in one of their games. I think it was against Florida State. He moves out to left. He's not a left tackle, but he, he filled in there for a bit. Didn't embarrass himself, drives people off the ball, gets to the second level, can maul. And then you've got Alex Leatherwood. Now, Alex Leatherwood went to the senior bowl to play tackle and said, I'm not playing anything other than tackle. I'm not coming otherwise. 
And in the game, he was very good, which is what he looked very good for Alabama. But in the 1v1s, he showed some limitations as a tackle. I think he's going to kick inside. But if you want somebody potentially who could start out at left guard and then maybe, maybe, I don't think he's ever going to be quick and he's never going to be, he's never going to be, uh, you know, one of those really athletic, mobile, um, someone trades two first round picks from down the road, Laramie Tunsil type athlete. But if you want a left tackle who can maybe get the job done in the running game and 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 do a decent job in pass protection, then maybe Leatherwood could kick out to left tackle one day. But I think he'd be a really good left guard. So before, right. I say, before we move off of off of um, offensive line, there's one other name I wanted to, to get your opinion on. And my guess is you're probably going to tell me he's got short arms, but that would be Josh Myers um, from Ohio State. I don't know the measurements for Josh Myers because he didn't he didn't measure at the um, at the senior ball. But I really like okay. Josh Myers. Very athletic center. You know, mm-hmm. um, he, he tested very well at Spark when he was at high school. I thought he was just Mr. Consistency watching. I mean, Ohio State didn't play many games in 2020, but he was he was Mr. Consistency. And when you watch the Clemson game in the semifinal, he and the, and the right guard, who's probably going to go in the top 40, just, you know, bullied people. It, it was it was great. And, and I just love the way that he is a technician who mauls. And, and very similar to Creed Humphrey in that regard. You know, there's a bit of attitude there. But he's not lunging at people. He's not reckless. He's very much in control. I've been suggesting that he'd probably go to Baltimore at the end of the first round because they are desperate for offensive. I know everyone thinks the Ravens are going to take a receiver. I think guard and centre is, is, is going to be the likely pick for the Ravens in the first round. And I think Myers could be a surprise pick there. But then other people grade him you know, firmly in the second day. So we'll see where he goes. Yeah, so he's a guy that... Um... I was looking at, and I'm like, you didn't bring him up. So I'm like, oh, that's gonna, that tells me he's probably got the short arms. But um, I, I, he's a center. He can play guard. That gives him that uh, flexibility that the Seahawks have kind of always liked on their interior. Um, and he just, he seems to be play really smart. And and just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I liked what I saw. I told, I've only watched a little bit. It's probably, I watched that semifinal game and, um you know, parts of, of a couple other games during the year. And I just remember liking what I, what I saw. Um, I need to do more, more tape study, but. On, on Myers, the- I've got his, I've got his data now in my database. So from Spark, this is, I mean, this is the kind of athlete we're talking about here. So he was, he was already six, six and three, 10 in high school. So he's all, he's not like he ran this at 250 pounds and has grown at Ohio state. He was already a, a grown man at this point. He ran a five, one, one. Now that's what a left tackle run. A good athletic left tackle, not an Orlando Brown. You know, a, a really athletic left tackle runs a 5-1-1. And he ran a 4-4-9 short shuttle. Now, to put that into perspective, when Malik McDowell ran a 4-5-3, 4-5-4 at about 290 pounds, that was one of the reasons why the Silks took him, because that's an incredible time. This guy just ran a 4-4-9 at 310 pounds. So we're talking about a really agile, really big, really athletic, center who has got all of the nastiness and all of that and i don't know his measurements i'm guessing if he's six foot six there's a chance he will have 33 in charms good to know awesome so let's uh let's look at the uh some of the skills positions let's start at the tight end just really quickly go through these uh note of interest uh currently uh the seahawks have um uh parkinson and disley and uh, that's it right now. <clears throat> I think Mabry's on the practice squad. Um, so they may be looking at uh, upgrading the tight end position, at least uh, maybe maybe an inline blocker. 
a guy later in the rounds or, or a pass catching guy, uh, depending on how they feel about Parkinson. I think they do feel pretty good about his red zone potential, et cetera. Um, are there a couple of names that Seahawks fans should, should look out for? Yes, it's a real shame that we don't have the combine this year because the one test to really look for at tight ends with the Silks and with most of the league in fairness are the two agility tests. So it's the short shuttle and the three cone. You know, there is real evidence there. If you look at the Rob Gronkowski's, Hunter Henry's, TJ Hawkinson's, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz's over the years, all do very well in the three cone or the short shuttle. Good three cone, 7-1-0 or lower is basically anything you're looking for at tight end. And for the short shuttle, four fours, anything lower than that, really, really good. So that's, and the Seahawks have consistently consistently drafted tight ends who do really well in the short shuttle. So there are four guys that I've identified who ran good short shuttles at tight end size in high school. And I think could really be on the radar because this is what we have to go off now because it's not going to be a combine. So you've got Trey McKitty who was named the tight end of the week at the senior bowl. He's not quick. He's not going to run a very good 40. And when you see him trying to run routes, he doesn't create much separation. But he blocks very well. He has 11-inch hands. He absorbs it. He had two one-handed catches in Mobile, which were absolutely fantastic, outstanding. And his short shuttle, believe it or not, was a 4 one three Wow. At 240-something pounds. So that's a, that's a good cornerback time at 190 pounds. And he's running that at 240. So Trey McKitty, keep it, he can block. He can catch. He just isn't quick. But he's got agility. And the Seahawks love that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's on their radar. Tommy Tremble at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He, he could be a really athletic fullback or he could be a great blocking, run blocking tight end. But a short shuttle time was a 4 2 0, and he jumped to 36 inch vertical. So again, he fits what the Seahawks look for. Don't be surprised if he's on their radar. Pat Framuth, they call him Baby Gronk. I think he's a first round, late first round pick, could be an early second round pick. Looks like Gronk, he's got the body control. Fantastic in the red zone. We stunned if teams do are not all over Freymouth. Ran a four 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 at two hundred forty eight pounds. If you want the Seahawks to have a proper pass catching tight end who could maybe just convert a few third downs next year, which is an important thing for the Seahawks, he he would be worth an early investment. But again, they, they maybe just got too many other needs to go that early. Whereas McKitty and Tremble maybe sort of early day three type options. The other player to keep an eye on Brevin Jordan, I think at, at, at Miami. Again, a dynamic pass-catching weapon, not much of a blocker, but maybe a little bit different to Colby Parkinson and Will Disley. He ran a 4-2-1 short shuttle at 250 pounds. So again, you're talking the kind of time you'd expect from a defensive back at 250 pounds. So these are the guys that I think the Seahawks will perhaps zone in on, and there's a decent quartet to target. Nice. Yeah, it's funny. I had uh, notes written on Tommy Tremble, and I wrote uh, John L. Williams type of player at fullback because you know obviously he he could be a weapon now the seahawks have had a few fullbacks on the roster the last four or five years none of them have actually been effective as an actual fullback uh, as an as a weapon somebody that could catch the ball out of the backfield pick up some tough yards for you it's always just been kind of one of those filler things that that uh you know a lead blocker occasionally uh, mostly special teams it'd be interesting to have a guy in there if they're going to spend um, a pick or, or hold a position on the roster for a fullback that mostly is special teams. It'd be nice to have a guy that had a little bit of upside there. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking they're going to spend, uh, use a pick on a tight end. Cause they've got those two uh, kids on, on rookie deals and they've got so many holes elsewhere. And uh, you know, if you're looking, okay, we need a, We need a third guy, someone that can come in and, 
and block occasionally, but not, you know, not going to play much unless there's an injury. That to me sounds like a, you know, league minimum kind of guy, get a vet rather than using one of your four draft picks on, um, unless they just really like a guy. So you'd see. Uh, I think that um, running back might be a bigger, um, you know, a bigger thing that, to to concentrate on because we know Carson's um, a free agent, Hyde's a free agent, DJ Dallas um, was interesting, but really kind of ineffective when he got more time. Um, the rest of the running back group there is really unexciting. Um, they need her back. Now, if they're not going to pay Carson, you know they're going to go spend an, uh, money on a back or spend a, spend a pick on one. Um, would a guy like Javante Williams drop far enough to where he gets in play um, for Seattle, or is he going to go you know, just way too early and we should be looking at someone else? Well, if they're able to draft Javante Williams, I, I will do a dance around the, the, the room because, me you know, and I, I'm, I'm deadly serious with that. And, and I'm not kidding. Trust me, I will do a dance. Uh, I know it's I know it's unpopular to, to want, a, you know, a running back to be drafted early these days. You know, you always run the wrath of, you know, a certain element of the fan base having a you know go at you. But Javante Williams is everything that they look for in a running back. You know, he's yards after contact, he's physical, he jump cuts better than Najee Harris does, who's probably going to go earlier and, you know, he's good in the passing game. He he brings it. He was reliable. And you know what? He's used to working in a, in a two-headed monster at, at UNC. So, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to see you bring his, him in, maybe pair him with a guy like Mike Davis, who was really good for Carolina last year. And we all know him from Seattle a couple of years ago. If he was available at a really cheap, you know, Carlos Hyde-style deal, you know, put those two together or put, you know, Big Chris with him if he if his market wasn't very good. You know, you'd be talking about a really good, strong, physical running game. And, um you know, Javante Williams is one of those players that when you watch him for the first time, you he leaves a mark and you go, yes, I, that is a player that I Absolutely. want on my football team. And I just fear that the Steelers or somebody like that in the first round are going to go, well, we quite like him as well. And they're going to snap him up. But um, hopefully, you know, hopefully there's a way that it happens. Um, I, I'm not, not going to get my hopes up, though. So, okay. So let's say he goes early and the Seahawks are looking for someone uh, middle. So I, I, I go through when I'm, I look at these, uh, and I always start with, with with the bigger backs, and then go look at their at their measurables and, and that kind of stuff. And again, with this year, I thought the combine it's going to be harder. But um, uh, Stevenson out of Oklahoma, um, you know, 5'11", 227, just big guy, lot of um, lot of yards in the Big Twelve. Um, looks interesting, but I, tell me what I'm missing and why. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about him as a day three guy. The one thing he's got is good feet. So when he gets into the second level and he can make a defender miss, he can, you know, a little shimmy and he's gone. uh, Change of directions. Very good. But you kind of just want to see a bit more for a guy his size up the gut. I mean, it's a weird thing to say in the modern NFL, but, you know, when he's, you want to see him attacking the line and, you know, trucking somebody over, you know, and, and you just don't see that aspect of him. And, you know, I kind of get the feeling that if, you know, when you're bringing a guy like that size and third and one to get you, and he's not very good at that, what he is good at is first and 10. And if you, if you get him a, a seam and a crease and he can bounce it outside and then make somebody miss and then finish a run nicely, it's, it's that kind of, is, is he a guy that can start and, carry it 20 times and do what you need him to do 
or is he a guy who kind of pops in every now and again in, in relief? And if he comes head to head against a cornerback, he'll make a miss and, and get an extra six yards. That's that's the kind of player that I I see when I watch him. So basically, you'd say he is he's redundant to uh, Rashad Penny. And yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. I'm afraid. And, and look, he was expected to be like 250 pounds at the senior ball, and he rocked up at 220 something. So. I don't know if he shifted weight on purpose and, and maybe he's a different player now. Cause you know, the diff, you know, when I was into Jim Nagy, he was saying he's like going to be 245, 250, and then he was 227, I think. So I don't know if he's, if that's just what he was or if he's undergone serious weight loss to get in shape for the NFL. But if he has, then he may be a completely different player. And I might be quicker, might be better for it, might be worse. I don't know. When I watched him at the senior bowl, the first thing that came to mind is just lack of explosion. I just didn't see any any power behind what he was trying to do, which was surprising given the size. Um, are there any other uh, mid round kind of guys? Uh, maybe not mid round, but you know, from the the back of the second all the way through to the the, the fourth round that the Seahawks would look at, such as a Trey Sermon or a Kylan Hill or Khalil Herbert. Um, maybe somebody later on like Elijah Mitchell or, or maybe the running back from Oregon state uh, that I, I really like Jermar uh, Jefferson. Yeah. Jefferson's very interesting. It was a very um, good observation by the way, on the, the lack of explosion because Stevenson, he had a 29 inch vertical at spark, which mm. is really mm. poor, but he had a four, three mm. short shuttle, which is kind of weird because you know, he's got agility, but he doesn't have the, he doesn't have that explosive power in terms of other running backs. I really like some of these guys as, you know, maybe round three onwards. I mean, Khalil Herbert was just shot out of a cannon at times for Virginia Tech. And, you know, he's very quick and um, he wasn't a slouch at his previous team, but he doesn't have the size that the Seahawks, you know, they, they're they very strict on what they look for. It's it's like 5'10", 5'11", 220 pounds-ish, give mm-hmm. or take a, a few pounds or a bit of height or what or whatever. Uh, and they were like explosive guys. And he's he's quick. He's really quick. Now, I think in some schemes, he will be fantastic. I really hope he doesn't get drafted by the 49ers because I think that he would be perfect for what they look to do. And their kind of running scheme with Kyle Shanahan, I'd quite like to see the Seahawks drafting because I think that if they were to go with more in that direction, more the Rams kind of style, that he could be very, very good because if he just gets, a, he's a kind of a one cut and he's gone. And that's, you know, that tends to work in this style, but the Seahawks kind of prefer these kind of big, physical, explosive, bulldozing kind of players. And, and that's not what he is. I mean, there are some other running backs that you could kind of check out. I mean, you mentioned Kylan Hill. I want to see how explosive he is. He, he just seems like we haven't seen him do anything for years because he was kind of, he, he didn't play a lot of last season. And then, you know, he, he, he took himself out of contention because he fell out with Mike Leach this year. And, it kind of feel like, you know, what are you all about? You know, it's, it, I don't, I don't know who you are. We've not seen enough of you. Um, then you've got guys like Chris Evans at Michigan and, you know, Chris Evans to sort of date back a couple of years ago was the next big thing. You know, everybody was like, Chris Evans, Chris Evans, you know, are you? Michigan's Chris Evans. He's going to be a huge star. Everybody loved Chris Evans, huge grades from scouts. And then he had an injury and then he was just a bit part player this year. And, didn't really do anything, but then Michigan didn't either. And then he's kind of just fallen off. And if you listen to Michigan fans talk about him, it's it's not pleasant. So, you know, again, it's it's somebody that you could take a flyer on later on, but it's not the best running back class. I have to say Trey Sermon did very well at the end of the season, didn't he? But 
then you just kind of think, well, he got injured in the in the championship game in the first like five minutes, and and why have you never quite been consistently good as opposed to just playing fits and starts? You've got some like Javian Hawkins, who's majorly explosive, incredibly quick, to four three runner, but he think he's like five nine and a hundred ninety pounds, um, and then you know at the top end you've got your you've got big Naji Aris and you've got Travis Etienne who is very explosive very fast but um you know if you're going to take either of those two guys you probably need to be picking very early and then be willing to take a running back very early well I know we're going to skip over some wide receivers and um and such but uh can we look on the defensive side here we're 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 running along on time uh just if you can uh where do you see the Seahawks have some needs uh cornerback seems obvious um, and where do you think they turn to the draft to address those needs as opposed to free agency and, and why? That's an interesting question because, you know, it, again, it's going to come down to cost. And, you know, I've, I've kind of thought for a while that the, there'd be a chance that maybe Richard Sherman would come back. And, and I know people kind of have, again, this is a really, I keep bringing up divisive topics, you know, like, should they trade Bobby Wagner? Should they trade, should they bring Richard Sherman back? And like half the fan base are going, hell yeah. And then the other half are going, no, thank you. Um, I, I think Richard, I think he sees Seattle as home. And I think that he's made his point. And I think that there will be a certain appeal to come back, have the come home Richard moment where everybody celebrates Richard's return and he finishes in the place where he always really wanted to finish. Can Jamal and, and Richard Sherman exist on the same roster? I think they could. You know, I, I think, I think, I think that he, I think you'd he get like, he best. respects playmakers. Yeah, and I think he actually respects Pete a lot more than people realize. I just think that Richard's very headstrong and thinks he's right about everything. And I think that Pete had had enough of that, <laughs> and he was injured, so they decided to part. But I do think that rather than it be like Earl and the way that's gone, I think this is more like Marshawn. And Marshawn came back, and when Marshawn left in the final game, that, that's probably going to be Marshawn's final game in his career. He was in the locker room, and he taught, he gave a he delivered a speech to the whole team and said, "Don't ever take this place for granted." And you know, I thought well, that was incredible, and and it kind of showed how he'd gone to play in Oakland, and it had made it even even his home, Oakland, and he came back and and he said those words. And I think Richard is of the same mind. And I actually think that Richard would probably take less to play in Seattle than he would to play in Detroit, for example, or somewhere like that. I think that this is where he wants to finish. And I think there may be a deal to be done there to bring him back for one year at a relatively decent cost that suits both team and player in order for Seahawks to fill that hole and help train up maybe a younger undrafted free agent or, or late round pick. Um, and there are some guys in this draft that they could do that, you know, later on. There's a lot of 32 inch on cornerbacks in this draft and, um, you know, there's some, some talented ones as well, some good ones at the senior bowl. So that's what I think for corner. I think for defensive line, you could always, you always need to add to your defensive line. I think it's the same with the O-line. You know, you've got to keep replenishing the stock there and you've got to keep trying to find those, those studs. You know, I don't think you should rest on your laurels just because Carlos Dunlap came in and had a bit of an impact there. I mean, he's, Carlos, Carlos is 32, isn't he? So, and we don't know what we're going to get from Daryl Taylor. So I think if you could find another edge um, later on, who's got the upside and, you know, there are a couple of guys in this draft class who, you know, one of them, I'm, I'm going to do a terrible job of pronouncing his name, <laughs> uh, Adetokumbo Ogundeji 
from Notre Dame. Um, 256 pounds, six, six, four and a half, 35 and a quarter inch arms, 85 and a half inch wingspan, um, seven TFLs, I think it was last year, seven sacks in a, in a shortened season, ran a 4-2-1 short shuttle. Um, you know, this is the kind of numbers that you look for, for a Seahawks edge. And he's going to be available a bit later on. So worth taking a punt there. Janarius Robinson at Florida State was all over the place in drills, but he's got a most remarkable uh, wingspan and an arm length. And, you know, he's he ran a 4-2-7 in terms of short shuttle as well. So, you know, you've, you've got a couple of options there. Um, and then at linebacker, just to finally sort of wrap it up there, you know, they, they love great athletes. You know, it's, it's, it's all about athleticism for the Seahawks. And again, it's a short shuttle. If you run a great short shuttle, you would generally get drafted by the Seahawks. Cody Barton, Ben Burke-Kirvin, you know, they both ran superb short shuttles. Um, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, people like that. Uh, Nick Ballore, funnily enough, ran a great short shuttle. I know he's not playing linebacker, but uh, for Seattle, he's moved to fullback, but um, ran a 4-0-0 short shuttle, believe it or not. Um, but there's a couple of guys in this draft that they could look at. Baron Browning at Ohio State, amazing athlete. I think he's going to go very early, though. KJ Britt Auburn played it like his hair was on fire in the game, was named the linebacker of the week at the Senior Bowl. Very intense, very physical, raved about in the work in terms of worth ethic. I'm going to put my teeth in at Auburn. And he ran a 4 2 2 short shuttle and jumps to 35 inch vertical. So you know, he's, he's got the, the athleticism. He's got the attitude. If they needed to bring in somebody because they can't sign one KJ, they could potentially go and draft another KJ and KJ Britt. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Um, one player I want to get, uh, I want, I just want to get a, an opinion of because he's as far as scheme fit for Seattle, he's one of those guys that, that I think fits Seattle really well, but not most teams because they run that cover three all the time. I mean, that would be Miles Jones out of Texas A&M. Guy's 6'4", 185 at cornerback. And I just see him being a uh, tremendous um, outside, you know, cover the third of the field, not get beat deep, have all that length, and just, you know, be, by, be Byron Maxwell on the outside there. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a good shout. I think that, you know, when you talk about the size there, and it's always, you know, when you actually look at the comp, this is the other reason the combine's so great, because, when the safeties work out and you see some of these like longer guys and it was with Trey Flowers. I remember watching the combine live and we, we I do a lot of live blog during the combine usually. And we wrote straight away that that's Seahawks cornerback. He's not a safety because he was just so long and lean. And, you know, when you get these guys coming up and you think, well, they did a certain role. They did this, at, you know, at, at a certain college. And, and even the ones who play cornerback, who play a certain style, you think that's the Seahawks defensive back one way or another. You could see them tapping into that. I see, I definitely see where you're coming from with him. That's that's a definite candidate, and um, you know, the, I, it's it's weird they haven't drafted many um, corners over the years, or or even players that that move to corner. I mean, they're, they're only one in recent history is Trey Flowers, and he was a safety. So um, I, I think it, they're long overdue to sort of tap back into that and bring in a developmental guy. I think, uh, you know, any uh, Husky fans out there may want to know where Keith Taylor Jr. might go in the draft and what you think about him. He looked really smooth, really able to uh, stay in phase at the Senior Bowl. I was, I was impressed. Uh, would, would the Seahawks consider somebody like that if you were to hang around uh, maybe with their, with their second pick overall or if they drop back uh, with, with their 
second round pick and, and picked up a couple of additional picks. I think he's he's very much sort of in that third round range off the back of the senior bowl because he was he was arguably the most impressive cornerback of the week and um, very physical, very tight in coverage. You know, a lot of the, the cornerbacks had, you know, some good snaps and then they'd just get completely owned by, by a receiver and have a really, and, and, and he really avoided that. He never had that sort of really awful rep. Um, the problem from a Seahawks perspective is the old, fat, you know, the old length issue. He has 31 inch arms. Now, the thing we have to remember is DJ Reed's come in and started and had a really good spell as a starter. And, you know, you would earmark him as a starter going into, um, into 2021. And Pete was asked about whether he maybe changed his mind about the whole 32 inch arms thing um, in one of his press conferences. And he said, yeah, you know, maybe he needs, he admitted, maybe I will be more open-minded about this. So um, I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. Whereas in the past I would have done. Um, I, I really like him. And I think he, he plays with the mentality that you want from a Seahawks cornerback. It's just whether or not the arm length is going to, because, you know, Pete can say one thing in uh, December, can't he? And then when it gets to April and he's actually on the clock, he, he may well think another thing. So we'll see. Well, DJ Reed was, was definitely um, great despite the, the lack of length, but so was Justin Coleman, um, you know, the slot quarterback from a few years ago that they've kind of missed since he left um, until DJ Reed and Amadi this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they've they've been able to find guys like that, but at, at some point, can they just draft someone? I mean, they haven't, they haven't other than Flowers, who was a project because he was a safety, um, who had to start because the you know two guys in front of him both got hurt in camp. But um, they haven't drafted a corner. Uh, it's been it's been a while, and they need to. It would be nice. I mean, uh, Shaq Griffin was the last one. Um, and, you know, he's probably gone in free agency because he's going to cost too much. So at some point they need to draft someone. And if they bring Sherman back, I'm all for it. I think it would be great, assuming that he has his head where it needs to be between him and Pete and all of that. Um, but draft someone to play, you know, to, to develop under him and, and to be ready to take over. Because Sherman's having a hard time staying healthy. He's getting older. You need, you need another body. I think they're going to take a uh, look at like a Robert Rochelle in like round five, um, maybe slightly earlier than he might go just because he needs a little bit more time, a little bit more development, but he ran a four, three, eight, 40, got a 41 inch vertical and 11, six broad jump with a three, nine, eight short shuttle, um, 10 interceptions, 38 pass breakups in, in four years. So he's got the production six, one, one ninety five. He just, you know, he played for central Arkansas. So he's going to need to kind of, test that against some, some premier guys and uh, somebody like that, you know, come in um, with some upside uh, later on. It's just, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we just don't have a lot of picks. So they're going to have to be very strategic as far as how they approach this. I think Keith and I had talked a couple of podcasts ago about maybe the Seahawks would come out of this draft with seven picks. I just don't know how they're going to do that. You know, they're either going to have to take that, the only draft capital they really have is that second round pick and, and trade back to pick up additional picks with that. And it's going to take them out of, out of some, some quality talent there and kind of leverage the draft into kind of a, a, where, where nobody's special, but you have a lot of players that are just filling holes, um, which is, which is, which is tough to do, you know, not only for the, for the team itself, but for fans to be able to watch and, 
and uh, you know, see guys flying off the board. It's 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 tough. Anywho, to live, Rob. I think that we've we've kind of we've gone over a little bit on this thing. We want to thank you. Way over. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on the show, talk about uh, all the all the stuff that we talked about early on in the in the show, and then end it with all of the the knowledge that you have on the prospects, uh, different fits that that uh, they might have in the Seahawks organization and the scheme, and it's just been a pleasure. So I want to say thank you very much. Oh no, the pleasure's all mine. You know, any opportunity to talk Seahawks, I uh, snatch it up. So um, yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's been great having you. Um, can we have you back, like maybe right after the draft? We'll talk about how the draft went down and and what the Seahawks did, and and get your take on some of it because. You know, by then we'll have um, we'll have a lot of a lot of experts out there saying stuff, and and it's always nice to have someone who really knows the Seahawks, um, and not just you know the national view of things uh, to break stuff down. Anytime, literally anytime you want us on, just just drop me a DM and I'll uh, I'll I'll do it. No problem. Awesome. All awesome. right. Thanks, man. Let's get out of here. So uh, you can find Rob on uh, Twitter. Uh, where are you at, Rob? Yeah. So um, at Rob Staten, and you know, spelled as, as my name is on Twitter. And you know, please check out seahawksdraftblog.com. And um, if you go onto YouTube and, and type in Rob Staten as well, you'll find my channel. And that's where all of the uh, the prospect interviews I'm doing uh, will be found on the podcast I do. So uh, please and, check and, it out. And, and all of it is excellent. And uh, yeah, thank you for contributing to the to the Seahawks uh, uh, family of uh, of contributors out there that are they're doing the blogs and you're just doing it out of the passion and and uh you can really tell uh that you're passionate about it even if if people don't agree with some of the takes uh they agree with the, the passion and uh the knowledge that you bring to what you're talking about so it's awesome no no thanks guys i appreciate that and i hope people do appreciate the um that it is just a passion and um let's be nice to each other <laughs> amen all right agreed Find Keith on uh, on Twitter at Myers NFL. The show's at Hawk Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of the shows archived. You can find us on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube as well. And uh, until next time, go Hawks. go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.